Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. To keep it light, we're not going to start with any of that stuff. No announcements, no... Silent meditations, no super prayers. You know, sometimes I I see the seriousness when we give out the coins and stuff like that. And you know, I just say, gee, you know, let's let's lighten up. And um I'm gonna start the lightening up by showing you the process it's taken me for even pretending to lighten up. And it's uh, what my sponsor had me buy years and years ago. He said, when you wake up in the morning, Harvey, the first thing you got to look at is your own behavior from the day before. And he'd say, uh, Harvey, you know what you do when you go to a circus and you see a clown do all those crazy antics? And I'd say, yeah, you laugh. And he said, well, that's what you are. And all those years of crazy antics, you just laugh at. You know, what he was really saying is cut this shame crap out and start living in the moment and getting a sense of humor. So this is what I have in my room when I wake up every morning. And it's on my bookcase facing me. By now, I hardly even see it because it's been there a long time. But that's my my little clown that I use. And, um, you know, I, I, I want to start out by uh, not being light because that's who I am. I'm not a light person. I'm a heavy, intense, judgmental, intolerant Four, you know, someone at a meeting yesterday went to, I was saying that uh, someone said to him when he said to his sponsor, oh, I'm always so bored. And his sponsor said, well, you know why you're always bored? Because you're so boring. <laughs> and, you know, that's the story of my life. Some meetings are so boring to me. Until I say, well, Harvey, what are you going to do to make it less boring for you by you being less boring? So, but not to get out of character for being intense, I want to read a little thing from the big book. And this is a fascinating part of it. I've told some people 
part of my knowledge of God's will for me over a lot of years have been very few things that I've really known. One thing I know knew was his will for me was not to hate my mother because of the feelings I had towards her. The other thing was to stay sober for one day. And the third thing was I stole right out of the book that to be happy, joyous, and free. That's God's will for me, to be happy, joyous, and free. So the other day, I went to find out where it was in the big book. I couldn't find the sucker. Just couldn't find it. So I went into the internet, into the AA glossary, couldn't find it. So I call, uh, went to an AA meeting yesterday. After the meeting, asked a whole group of people. No one knew where it was. Said, oh, it's big book. Or maybe 12. No, big book. And in chapter five and this and that. And I had spent a long time looking for it. And I finally called my AA sponsor, who is 50 years of sobriety. And I said, hey, where do you think it is? And I could tell. It was a mistake asking. <laughs> that that's not something you ask a 50-year veteran who didn't know. And he said, oh, I'll look it up. So I said, well, I'm talking tomorrow morning. If you can get it to me before then, I'd appreciate it. And um, I never got a call. And so... Uh, Instead of worried about all my addictions last night and all my my political crap I get into and the what would I talk about this morning, I took Nancy to see Guardian, <laughs> that movie about the Coast Guard, and uh, which maybe we could get back to a bit about us, you know how it applies to us. But we got back ten thirty. Quarter at 11, I'm about going to bed. I said, I'm going to try one more time. And I opened the book up and I said to myself, I really think it's in the AA book. And I've looked everywhere that's important in the AA book. I'm going to go into the chapter that I always say has nothing in it, but always does, and see. And there it was. And it was in the chapter um, about the family, the family afterwards, a chapter we hardly ever mention. And it's full of all this stuff, family afterwards. I forgot the name of the chapter. I hardly mentioned it. And um, I want to read it to you. We have been speaking to you of serious sometimes tragic things. Yeah, serious and tragic. You know, what my life was like when I was acting out. I was thinking my wife's in the building and she's in the program. I remember one day taking her to Houston's with a friend and his wife They had just gotten married, and he and I had sex under the table with our wives present. 
tragic, serious topics. Or in recovery, how I get angry at my wife and once in recovery got physical with her when I had never done that in my acting out. Sometimes tragic things, the pain, the embarrassment to my sons, to my family, you know. We have been dealing with alcohol, make believe it says sexaholism, in its worst aspect. You know, we're talking about sexual instincts gone nuts, natural, wonderful, joyous instinct that makes the world survive. And mine just was at its worst aspect. And but here it is. It says, but we aren't a glum lot. And we'll go on a bit, but I want to talk about that bit for the right question that man asked today earlier. It is such a narrow line. This is all my crap, or my opinion now. Means nothing other than for me. But we are on such a narrow line at SA meetings between being rigid, intense, tight, worried, frightened, sensitive, being a glum lot. And where sometimes kidding around at meetings comes in. Where the difference is, I'll never know. Except in inner field. But where that concept, and that's how this talk came about. Someone asked me to talk about uh, crosstalk. And I said, I'm not touching that subject. <laughs> And, uh, but I said, but I'll design it and camouflage it to the subject I'm really going to end up talking about. And that subject's going to be what the 12 and 12 the, talks about in the 12th step. It opens with the words, the joy of living. And hopefully we're going to, Talk about what are the few things it says that we are sure of. The family afterwards. We are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. So rare. I I don't think I know of a, a place where else it says that. We are sure. But we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. My God, come to our meetings sometimes. It's like people are going to have their fingernails pulled out or something. (laughs) 
And then if you have the audacity to joke around, whoop. And my heart goes out to some of y'all. Best you haven't been to AA meetings. <laughs> my God. The amount of times the word yet is yelled out at a meeting, which is crosstalk. Someone will say, oh, I haven't done that. I haven't been arrested. And a chorus will come out yet. (laughs) Or somebody will say something, uh, you know, really um, intolerant. And the group will start hysterically laughing without saying a word. And the guy will finally pick up what he's done, what he said, how how silly he's being with himself at that moment. Then there were meetings I've attended, and some are aware of them, and it caused a lot of tension in AA where my sponsor would interrupt you as you're talking. You talk about, oh, I'm having such trouble with my girlfriend and she's not talking to me and you're this and that. And he'd yell out, you don't care. You're just not getting any. That's what you're angry at. He'd yell it across the room. He, I'd say something, and I, he was a circuit speaker, and Nancy and I would go with he, with him and his wife all over the country, and be three, four hundred people in a room, and he'd point to me at the meet in front of all these people. He'll say, "See that guy? He's Jewish. He can't be an alcoholic." <laughs> My God, I want to climb under a chair. I don't want everyone to know my religion. They might, you know, burn me at the stake or something. I don't know what's going to happen. A Nazi could be in the room. I don't want to talk to that. (laughs) And there he is. And he'd say over and over again to us, addicts, wear their feelings on their sleeve. Now, where the heck did this guy get off saying all this stuff? It's all big book stuff. He just uses his own, or or 12 and 12, he uses his own uh, grammar for it, his own words for it. Where does it say that? It tells us, and I think it's chapter on the 12th step in 12 and 12, that we all have Things in common, three things that all addicts have in common. We're childish, we're extremely sensitive, and we're grandiose. Man, what you look at me the wrong way. I hate you for 10 years. How dare you? You know not applaud enough or stand up or 
remember my birthday or do this and do that, you know. Impossible to satisfy that hole in me about what I need from you. When the the reaction's going to be, how am I getting happy, joyous, and free? And it says it everywhere. In, for those of you who, let's see where that, I don't know if you all ever read this book, but it's an essay-approved literature called Recovery Continues. You know? And guess what? There's a chapter in here that talks about the joy response. The joy response. And, you know, we get all this tension about religion, about saying this and saying that. He talks about the New Testament in that chapter. So I'll either be sensitive about it or I'll get over it and find the joy response. And what is it? It's the letter to James, and it talks about the joy response that it's only through the temptation that we can get the joy. It's only by transcending the temptation. And in in uh, non-religious terms, in terms of my disease, you know, it's only when I am willing to do what my sponsors and the books have told me to do about my disease, when I undress someone in my mind, when I see people in sexual positions who aren't doing anything, you know, all these hallucinations, these delusions, it's only when the minute it comes up and I say, God, whatever it is I'm looking for in that may I find in you and move on, that's where the joy is. Now, the joy It's one of those words like love, uh, surrender, you name it, lust. I don't know what the hell these words mean. I use them day after day. I don't really know. How can I know a love cripple what love is? How do I know what joy is? The only joy in quotes I thought I had was related to orgasmic experience or to what I felt after putting you down in some anger relationship or the pursuit of lust. Man, would I get a sensation in that pursuit of lust. So how do you know what joy is? when you've been all screwed up with feelings. And so it's one of those things like love. I've had to say, ah, is that joy? And, you know, Cherry would talk about this special feeling you get in this program, which I think is joy. It's a quiet excitement. I get it when someone says something at a meeting 
and I say, wow. Or when something I, I've just had a lust temptation and I say, wow, that's the first time that's happened in two, three, four months. The, the, the joy of saying, God, this stuff works. My joy in this program, interestingly enough, comes out in tears when I'm by myself and something I'm sponsoring. I get a lot of joy from what happens to me after I get off the phone with someone I sponsor, interestingly enough. During it, I'm not experiencing it. But <laughs> I get off and I say, where the hell did that come from? How the hell did I say that? How do I know about that guy's religion to talk about that? Where the hell is this coming from? I get calls from Muslims, from uh, rabbis, from priests. I sponsor all these different people like Robert was talking about. Where does this crap come from, my mouth? That's what my mouth does, crap. This isn't crap somehow. It's coming from places you don't know where the hell it's coming from, except I know. As it says in the 11th step, you know, we're a vessel. You, you can't think this stuff up. And it, you know, you pass it through. It's been passed from generation to generation. And then it gets passed from, from my higher power. And then all of a sudden I realize it and I feel this quiet excitement. So we absolutely insist on enjoying life. Uh, so, you know, lust is not a big issue in my life today. It just isn't. It could be because I still go to five to seven meetings a week. I talk to three to five people to 10 people a day on the phone. I uh, read every day. I mean, it might have something to do with that, too. But it's not a big issue. Today, for me, the big issues are my political addictions and looking at TV and blogs and this and that. And if my team doesn't look like it's winning enough, you know, I'm wishing bad things for the other team or whatever. I mean, this insanity, this addictive process. And my joy came today when, or yesterday when I was going to check something out again and I said is this going to bring me comfort? Is checking it out going to bring me joy? Do I want comfort in my life today? Or joy in my life? And today that's why I come in for the fun, for the joy, for the, you know, whatever it takes. We tried not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nations. 
nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. I didn't see that till just now, by the way. (laughs) How dare they slip that in on me? When we see a man sinking into the mire that is sexaholism, we give him first aid and place what we have at his disposal. For his sake, we do not recount. No, we do recount and almost relive the horrors of our past. So, so much of my joy is walking through my shame and telling you the one things thing I don't want to talk about. And I share this over and over with people. I've been sober over 22 years, 22 and a half years. People call me, do this, do that, you know. I don't want them to know one thing about me. There's one thing I don't want them to know about my addiction. Because, you know, I was, uh, I sexually abused my wife. I had chronic uh, masturbation issues. I don't want them to know anything about my homosexual acting out. Nothing. I don't want any of you all to know it. So what's the first thing I said here today? I had to share with you the thing I don't want you to know about me. That's through sharing my horrors. I get my joys. The relief of, oh, one more secret I don't have to carry. But those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others find we are soon overcome by them. Tell you another way I get joy. You know, Robert was sharing about people he, he, um, uh, his sponsor. I'm very much like the guy in the, that movie last yesterday about the Coast Guard when they at the towards the end asked him how many lives did he say? Was it really how many were the real numbers? And he said 22, and the guy said 22, and then he said, "Yeah, those are the ones who died who he didn't say." And, you know, and they tell you how he has to save himself to save other people. Can't tell you the amount of people I have sponsored over the years I have had to let go. Or if I had to say, I am too ill to handle this. It's not your problem. It's my problem. I can't watch this. I don't know if it's in the hundreds, but it's. It's many, many, many. Sometimes in a meeting of AA, I will, or an essay, I will notice that there might be a quarter to a half of the people in that room I had sponsored at one time or another. But I've learned I have to take care of me so that I can be available for those who who want it. And I find that people do just fine without me being sponsoring them. They get sober just as well 
with or without me. You know, that's another aspect of my joy. That I'm not responsible for someone else's sobriety. I'm about ready, Bess. I usually don't like to read this stuff, so I'm going to skip something at a, uh, a sharing meeting. We are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it once was just that for many of us. But it is clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. But if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. And I just have a blast laughing at my own crap. I just can't believe it sometimes. There are people in this room who I sponsor, and I'll be in hysterics laughing at my own stuff when I tell them. I also laugh at their stuff, too, but they're learning not to be, to be too sensitive. Boy, is that a test of sponsor-sponsee relationship when you start laughing at what people are telling you. It's a little better than what my sponsor would do. He'd say, oh, do you hear me snoring? <laughs> I thought I was sharing the worst things in the world to him, and he's falling asleep. So what about loosen it up? Well, I'm going to tell you a story many of you all have heard before. Uh, but it's about this guy up front, Wilson. Now, he's going to say he hates this, but he loves to be the center here. This is going to, on, on CD. Man, I mentioned his name. He is going to, yeah, he hates it. Look, he woke up. <laughs> Mark woke up without my even using his name but he's a good sponsee because I'm always asleep at meetings so I've learned not to <laughs> that's a compliment by the way that you feel so at home so relaxed I learned that from a guy in AA he'd come in his name was Herb he'd say his piece no, he'd fall asleep, get up, say his piece, and then walk out the room after he said what he said. He'd been sober a long time. I get a lot of my stuff through osmosis. <laughs> Being asleep. This, you know what? It's not what anyone's saying. What we say doesn't sober anybody. I don't know what sobers people up except the steps and God and the fellowship and whatever all that means. And for me, it means that people still talk to me even though I'm asleep, according to a half of a meeting if it's not a 6.30 in the morning meeting. But getting back to Wilson, of all things, we don't want me to not tell the story (laughs) in case he gets left out. Now, why am I talking about Wilson this way? Because he deserves it. What can I tell you? <laughs> because 
Wilson would say what I thought for five, six, seven years, six, five years, the most cruel things I've ever heard to me. How dare he say that to me, these cruel, nasty things. And Nancy would be standing there in hysterics laughing, just laughing away. And we'd walk home and she'd say, he's the funniest man I ever met. (laughs) And I'm just angry at the guy all the time. How dare he say those kind of things? And one day, I decided to not believe my head, as I've been saying. And I decided to accept what Nancy said, that this guy might be funny, you know, might be, who knows? <laughs> and I started hearing him as humor being said, rather than him cutting me down. And it was adorable. It was funny. But this isn't about Wilson. This is about me and my son, and Wilson's heard the story. My youngest boy, who's now almost going towards 38 or 39, lose track sometimes. Uh, he, he had the same humor that Wilson had, and since he's been a boy, I missed it. And we just, we had the worst relationship of father and son. I have four sons, and this guy, I chopped him off. And one day I said, gee, maybe he is like Wilson, and he's kidding around. And I learned how to kid back with Wilson. He doesn't like it, by the way, but I do it anyway. (laughs) It's not funny, yeah, right? (laughs) And lo and behold, I started jabbing back with little humor with my son, which I never knew I had myself. Over the past four or five years, you have never seen a healing in a relationship like my son and I have had. I, I can't believe, you know, he's, uh, he's just a, a joy to me. And he just thinks I'm real cool. He felt I was cool enough that about two years ago, he brought in a a gal he was planning to marry. And uh, she, he had mentioned I was an SA. And he said, Dad, I want to know why you're an SA. I said, okay, I'll read you the brochure. He said, no, I don't want the brochure. I want you to tell me your story. And I said, in front of your girlfriend? And he said, yes. And uh, I panicked. And uh, I said, God, talk for me. And out of my mouth came out what we used to say at every meeting for years and years when we gave our sobriety date. We'd uh, qualify. And my qualification was, I am Harvey Asher, a sexaholic 
and my disease took the form of compulsive masturbation, uh, abusive, obsessive sex with my wife, and promiscuity, predominantly gay. And I shut up. And I said, if you want to know more, please ask. I'm not sure I'll tell you, but you could ask. And he opens his mouth and he starts to weep in front of his girlfriend. And he says, Dad, I want to tell you how proud I am of what you've done with your life. Now, where's the humor come? See, I get intense again. Look at y'all. You look like us. There it goes. See? And uh, what happened is he's been going for some uh, therapy lately. He lives in another state. And he calls me uh, two weeks ago and he says, Dad, you need to come to where I live to see my therapist so we could talk to her. I said, son, I've been through this three previous times. You know, I, you know, I have just had surgery and I start laughing and say, I've just had surgery two weeks ago. You know, I got infected. I'm too ill to do this right now. Give me a break. And we both started to laugh and, you know, we, we kidded around about it and uh, it was really about him, and he wasn't ready to deal with his memories. He wanted me. But um, when he came to visit last week, and I said, I'll be there if you want, but, you know, why don't we play it by you? But we were able to tease about it. Now, and how did that happen? It happened by my not being able to handle the crosstalk Wilson was doing that I thought was crosstalk that was really helping joy come into a meeting. You know. And if it gets too much, Wilson will notice it himself and usually say, you know, maybe I've gone too far or something. But it's made a breakthrough for, I believe, our 630 meeting. Now, I do want to get serious just for a little bit about um, what is crosstalk. I think, you know, we need to just look at this. And um, it's, it's in the essay book. There's a chapter in the essay book on guidelines for meetings. And it talks about crosstalk. You know what crosstalk is? Crosstalk, a lot of the stuff about crosstalk is about using you messages rather than I messages. You better stop doing that. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of what crosstalk is. Um, but I'm not justifying crosstalk. I'm not saying it's something we do. I'm not. Uh, it's in our guidelines not to do it. The reality is, is I cross talk all the time, but I do it through manipulation, hostility, 
I'm just vicious. And I use I messages. Someone will say something and I will immediately use my own personal experience that I'm saying, you screw you, you stupid idiot. Don't you know what you're doing? That's what I'm really saying. But I got it all covered up in all this goody goody stuff. And then I was surprised when something happened the other day and I screwed up at a meeting. I grabbed the chair. Some guy says he only had 11 days and I walked in the meeting and he was chairing and he said, I know I shouldn't be chairing with 11 days. And I said, I'll take it. And I used this tone and I had to make an amend. I needed to let him chair at 11 days then the shame I made, not shame in a psychological way, not shame on him even. What I felt, I felt that I cut his legs off for no reason. What's the big deal? So he would have chaired that meeting. He had the most sobriety in that room anyway at that time. What's a big deal? And so I did that. And so I made a public amend to how bad, you know, I felt like crap afterwards. Did it twice. And then when his sharing came, he said, oh, I never saw that compassionate side of you. (laughs) But, you know, I decided not to interpret it like that. He was really giving me a compliment. Because, you know, he's probably right. So much of what he's heard from me probably has probably been without crosstalk. This crosstalk I do with iMessages. And uh, that does not give me comfort, doesn't give me joy. Uh, Over the past year or two, I've... I've stopped doing it hardly as much. I still catch myself doing it. But what I do instead is I go up to the person after the meeting and I'll ask, can I give you some feedback? And that way I could be straightforward. Like I could say, man, I'm scared. Why do I get crosstalk subtly? What is it really underneath? It's not joy that I want to help the person. I get frightened. I go into fear. I don't know what to do for the person. I see them struggling. I I get scared. Is it going to happen to me? Is, how can I help them? Maybe this program doesn't really work. All my own shtick comes in. And then I take it out with those voice tones or those subtleties. And then I don't have joy. You know, Cherry over and over again would say this program in, in AA was, is not about alcohol. It's about comfort. This program is not about lust. It's about comfort. If it were about lust, then every single step would be about lust. It's the way we get comfort. And so... Mark, maybe you can, it's in under guidelines, under guidelines. 
Now, I want to tell you a story about guidelines and about all this stuff. Told it to some guys here before. You know, the newcomers meetings we have and all those writings. And something in the writing just wasn't sounding quite right to me. And I suggested laughingly, hey, why don't we take it out? And a group of guys, they got, or at least one got so angry at me. What do you mean take it out? We can't take it out. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm the guy and one of me and a few others who put it in there. We wrote it. Okay, remember when we wrote those new guidelines. You know, these things become sanctisane. You know, what's the word? Sanctisane or sacrosanct? Sacrosanct. Thank you. Sacrosanct. Becomes, you know, like given by God. Man, a bunch of us drunks had nothing to do that night. We probably would have acted out if we didn't come by and work on this stuff. Man. And then we get wild over. There was a, um, the other day, I had more fun after a meeting. The other, some guy was really upset about for a week and other people about some signs on the wall in our clubhouse. They just all tense, angry, upset, you know. Well, after the meeting, I grabbed the guy and I said, who do you think put that up there? He said, I don't know. I said, want to have some fun? He said, what do you mean? He said, start ripping them down. Why does someone have a right to put it up and you don't have a right to pull it down? This is a free place. It's not that it's approved literature they put up. It wasn't the steps. It wasn't. I said, and find out how the group conscious decides on what gets put up there. Man, this is freedom. This is happy, joyous, and free. We don't have, we don't have presidents or, or dictators or, you know, we have none of that here. We're just a bunch of drunks who get together, hopefully for a good laugh, to see that there's more to life than living in sexual fantasy, that there's other joys. And we're just this group who get together to share our experience strength, and hope. And if we take stuff too seriously, not only are we going to miss the joy, we're going to forget, in my opinion, who's really doing this. How is this possible? How is it how is a Jew on his Sabbath standing under a cross talking <laughs> to a bunch of Christians? Who but a higher power could have brought, we were asked to speak at a conference in, um, 
outside of Oxford, England, about six months ago. And Nancy and I went there. And um, uh, in it, it's in this little retreat center. And in walks from Manchester, England, a Muslim and an Orthodox Jew. All but carrying each other into recovery. Because without each other, they were going to be messed up. And all those barriers, all those differences, all those serious world issues meant nothing to these two guys to help get them one more day of sobriety. So in conclusion, I have two minutes. Okay. In conclusion, (laughs) and my conclusions usually take 20 minutes, so be prepared. (laughs) But in conclusion, I watched this movie yesterday about the Coast Guards and how they go in the middle of winter by helicopter and jump in the ocean outside of Alaska and save people and how they have to save each other and save themselves and the camaraderie and the love and teamwork was not sexual, it was not uh, selfish, it was what we have here. Because without our teamwork, without our joy and fellowship and recovery, man, if you guys don't help me, I'm not going to make it. So I'm going to keep coming back. This this is uh, the gift I'm given today, and thanks for being here for me. Thank you.